Moving Iron Podcast number 157. On this episode, we have a uh, basically got a, a Q&A session here with my good friend Aaron Finnell. How you doing, bud? Good, good. It's a uh, blustery October day here. Yep. Here's we went from summer to winter in three days. Yep. And uh, just not a whole hell of a lot of fun. No, it's chores, not. Chores, chores were an adventure, but here we are. We're casting pods. Yeah, it's... Uh, Little Sunday night uh, podcast action here instead of a uh, probably a little Sunday night football action here not too long from now. So it'll be uh, it'll be a fun a fun evening of of watching it kind of snow rain mix and forty mile an hour winds. So you you can't you can't beat that with a stick. Absolutely not. No matter how big the stick is, that's exactly right. So on this episode, um, we have a Q and A, and we have AQ in about three A's. I hope, but the uh, the the question that we have came from Alex in Minnesota, and Alex was a uh, typical combine buyer back during the boom. You know, the typical two to three year uh, trade cycle. Alex' typical trade cycle was uh, about every two years, and he had a the last machine he bought was in 2013, and it was an S670 combine. He's been running it ever since. So he has hit that point in time where he's got about 3,000 engine hours on it. And he is uh, throwing out the idea that it's basically your average machine, um, which I think he might be, I don't know the situation. I don't know what his maintenance program looks like and those kind of things. But but typically, um, a guy asking this kind of a question is one of those guys I think that's probably taken pretty decent care of his machine over the course of the last five to six years. Um, so basically what Alex is asking is, you know, what I do with this machine. I've got 3,000 engine hours on it, like I said. Um, he's been watching auctions, and he thinks he's got a machine that's somewhere between sixty and 80000 bucks. which at an auction, which I would probably agree with that, wouldn't you say, Aaron? Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. With no more no more details than what we've got. I mean, that's kind of right. your basic average machine. And basically his dilemma is he's got three different options he's thrown out there. One is obviously, you know, trade it off and get a brand new machine the other option is take this machine to uh an auction sell it off and then take the proceeds from that and then go find something at the local dealership and take advantage of some programs that are there and the other option um which he doesn't have in well his other option is keep the machine he's got and buy a new machine and use this machine as a secondary unit on the farm and he wants to use it basically to cut his beans um now, he does say in here he doesn't necessarily like the idea of keeping two machines going just because of the cost uh, of running two machines, which I could agree with that. But there's uh, some other things to think about in that. So on uh, on that topic, you know, Aaron, you sell a lot of combines uh, wholesale, and we've got a lot of stuff going on with the combines we have here at the dealership. But I guess as you look at those scenarios, what advice do you have for Alex on his combine? Okay, I'll I'll dig into this a little bit more for the for the sake of backstory. Okay. 
However, if I was to rank those three options, I would say option one for me would be to keep it. Option two would be to auction and then be a cash buyer. And in that world right now, if you're a cash buyer, no trade, especially without a 12 or 13 to trade in, the used combine world is your oyster. Right. And then the third option was what? Uh, uh, oh, to, to just trade it. To just yeah, trade just it. to trade it off and get the different machine. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now, the reason that keeping it is my favorite option is you. You know that was a three hundred, three hundred fifty thousand dollar combine new in thirteen. He has already gotten the, three, you know, he's got 3,000 engine hours on it. So he's, I'm guessing he's probably 23, 2,400 steps yep. on it. So he's already done the 13 to 1,500 hour rebuild, most likely yep. done that, two thirds of that again. Um, and at that rate, that combine don't owe him a penny. Right. When you look at throughput, okay, yeah, it's six years old and it was a hell of a lot of money six years ago. But where he's been trading and, you know, assuming he's got equity and on down the line, he's probably sitting financially with that specific machine very, very well. Right. Okay. Which goes into number two, but the biggest thing where I'm at with keeping it is as everybody on the Twitterverse likes to remind everybody every single day, 2019 is the year that just will not go away. Okay. This is a year where, you know, even out here in the, where we're basically a desert, we have had, can't do nothing. Can't do nothing. Can't do nothing. Oh my God, it's 70 degrees. Go, 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 go. The amount of corn, beans, and sugar beets that have come out in the last 10 days is phenomenal in this area. And where, especially where he's from Minnesota, Minnesota is famous for having at times 10 months of winter. Right, <laughs> you know. Yep. So, and and even if he's, you know, on the southern border, you get north of I eighty, and all bets are off. Right. You know. Yeah. Where where we're at here, you're an hour north of eighty. I'm an hour and a half north of eighty, and I eighty across the country is very, <laughs> very strategic in weather and farming. Oh yeah. Okay. It is. A, it's a hard line in the sand. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If you're north of 80, it is a whole different animal than if you're south of 80, and it could be 60 miles on each side. Right. Yeah. So that would be my main thing. Now, the biggest thing we fight in agriculture, whether you're a, a co-op, a seed dealership, or an equipment dealership, aside from the farmers, because they, they probably have the bigger, the bigger heartburn with this, is labor. Okay. Right. If he can muster someone to run that combine, 
and he can share his truck drivers between the 770 or whatever he gets and that 2013 670. If he can do that, that is a home run. That's the way I would go. Right. Just because combine doesn't owe you anything. Hang on to it. As far as maintenance cost of it, that's everybody's biggest hang up with having a second combine. Right. You're just doing beans with it. You know, you're it, it's a hundred, hundred and fifty step hour combine. Don't get carried away and make it a showroom machine every year. That's the that's the machine where good enough with winter inspection is good enough. Right. Okay. Just fix the things you absolutely have to fix. Not absolutely. I mean you're you just change maybe you just changing oil in between seasons. I mean, that's the other thing too. When you look at this, that that what you're talking about right there is, if it's truly a secondary machine, if it's truly that's what it's going to be. And I again, I don't know how many acres Alex has to, to cover here with this combine, but um, well, I guess you could do the math real quick and you could just figure that out. But um, sound, you know, he's probably he's the average size farmer. What it sounds like, you know, if you do the math real quick in your head. Um, when you look at a, a secondary unit, if he puts a hundred hours a year on it, that's probably, you know, God's plenty. You know what I'm talking about? Right. It's not, yep. it's a machine that you're using when you're in a pinch or if you pick up that extra quarter of ground or whatever it is, and you, maybe you're, you're starting to spread your operation out a little bit from home, right? You might be over in a, you might have to go. 40 or 50 miles now to pick up your new ground, and, and that's what that machine is going to be for, right? Um, yep. So it just depends on what he's doing. If it's if he truly has the acres or or he has, like you like you talked about there, the manpower to do that, yeah, he can he can absolutely do 25% of the harvest with that combine. The other 75% can be with the new machine he buys. So I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on that on that one there. The other, the other question I have or the other comment I have on that is <clears> – <throat> If you go and take that machine and put it at the auction and you and you sell it off and let's say you get somewhere between sixty and eighty thousand bucks, seventy thousand dollars for this rig, um, you can go out and get yourself, you know, for three hundred grand right now, you can find yourself a pretty nice combine, right? Well, that's that's almost twenty five percent down on that combine, and that puts him in a in a pretty good position equity wise. Um, if he finds that low hour three hundred hour machine, you know, whatever. 500 hour separator hour machine something like that um he's gonna have an amount financed somewhere in the neighborhood of you know it could be 200 to 250 thousand bucks depending on what it is and right he's going to uh have himself in a pretty good position in in the long run if he's looking to do the the two-year trade cycle thing again right um or is he looking to maybe run this machine for five years and trade it off and you know what's his, what's his new trade cycle going to look like um so, I guess for me, when I look at it, I'm probably leaning more towards uh, liquidate this machine, get your second machine. Because um, the only reason I say that is I'm kind of trying to read between the lines of what he has here. It sounds like to me he doesn't necessarily have enough acres to really justify having a second combine, but it sure is nice to have it. You know what I mean? And like you said, when you're statement is that it probably doesn't know him anything right he's he's it's paid for it's probably went through winter service last year and it's probably got a, a million dollars worth of new parts in it and 
now it's a good solid machine. What do you do? Um, I guess from your perspective, Aaron, and I've heard you tell customers this a lot, is sell it yourself. You're going to get more out of it than you're going to get on trade. You're going to get more out of it. You're going to get an auction because you can tell that story, right? So talk about that a little bit when you're on in, in that angle of, of okay. doing something like that. Yep, and that brings me to his number two option, which let me address this real quick. Okay. For him, the number three option, I would wad that up, throw it in the trash, and not even begin to dream of that. Which one's that? What's the third? Trade it. Oh, trade. Okay, trade it. Yep. No, I wouldn't, the I wouldn't either. Go no. to the dealer and trade it in. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Okay. Back to your comment, which is my number two which ties into my number two option of auctioning the machine, liquidating it. And then you've got that wad of cash in hand, you know, maybe he has wheat. Maybe he doesn't. If he doesn't have wheat, Oh my God, he's got a wad of cash in hand and a lot of months to find the unicorn. Right. If he does have wheat, he's got a wad of cash and still six months to find the unicorn. Right. So, that that's a great deal you know and as he said in the 60 to 80 category that's exactly right but we all know there is no such thing as stamped in stone auction value oh, right now yeah. yeah, it, it's, it, yeah. it, it, it could change tomorrow right we we could we could you know this wednesday when all the online auctions hit that his combine could be a $40,000 combine. It could be a $90,000 combine across the board. You just don't know. Right. But his, his guesstimate of the, the 60 to 80 is spot on. He's obviously a very educated farmer in the equipment world. Now the caveat, and this is what you wanted me to address selling it yourself our buddy you and i are both buddies with him greg peterson right always likes to talk about the story you know and it doesn't matter we you know he he finds those diamonds in a rough on the internet and throws them out there like oh, yeah. that 30 hour forty nine fifty five sitting in a barn yeah. that he had out this week yeah the, the 10 hour 20 yeah Right, yeah, yeah, the zero hour eighty eight twenty that's yeah. cutting Milo in Texas now. Right. The the whether yeah. it is those oh my god, that's the coolest thing on earth and you should have T shirts made or oh my god, it's another twelve or thirteen S series combine. Both ends of the spectrum. It doesn't matter what it is, everything has a story. Right. Okay. Now Good or bad. This is very, very important where he has a very run-of-the-mill to almost high-houred. I would throw it in the high-houred. Yeah, I would too. Yep. S670 category in the 12 and 13 years, which right now is the softest market of any market of any machine. Right. Okay. But... As he said in his message to you, he's had it since 13. Right. He was a, you know, trade every two years, get a new combine. He's put 3,000 hours on that machine. 
He knows every nook and cranny. He knows every bolt, every single time they did anything to that machine. He has a wonderful story to tell, which would separate his combine from the 60 to 80 market apart if he sells it himself. He could throw the thing on Tractor House. He could throw it on Craigslist. He could throw it on eBay, whatever. He has a story to tell with that. And he might look out there and say, okay, I'm going to look at all the advertised listings on Machine Repeat or Tractor House. And in this hour range, this year range, come up with a number. Say it's dealers are at 109 average on that machine. He could throw his on there for 99 obviously be willing to take less, but still clearing a hell of a lot more than he's going to clear in the auction market. Right. Because, simply because, his combine, you know, regardless of what condition it's in, he can share that story. Right. Okay? He can tell that story, and that story is imperative on machines you're selling yourself. Mm-hmm. So, if he can do that, which which apparently Alex can, that's a perfect scenario to maximize your value on that machine, which otherwise is very run-of-the-mill, okay? Right. When I do combines with guys, trading combines, buying combines, whatever, we always talk about three values. There's... You know, your average retail ask price, there's auction price, and then there is the sell it yourself. And I will tell guys when I, you know, if I'm throwing something out there, wholesale number, and it's a producer, an end user buying it, you know, and my, their initial reaction to my trade allowance, you know, they love to trade price. But my trade allowance, they're always, oh, man, you're not giving me much. And I'll say, okay, here's the deal. If my combine, say my combine's 150 and your average ask price is 190 well, you know, you're starting, you know, not the whole 40 but you're starting 30000 in favor, right? Right. <laughs> and I will, I'll just, I'll map it out with guys and I will say, Here's what we're trading, okay? No BS. Here's your number. You could go to auction and get this. You could sell it yourself and get this. And this is where, and probably why this wasn't one of Alex's options is, there are a lot of times I will have the discussion with guys, I will show guys where they could sell it themselves and probably pocket 15 grand. Right. But nine... Nine and a half out of ten times, they want absolutely nothing to do with that. And 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 I get it. There's I do this for a living, and there's days I don't want anything to do with it. Right, right. <laughs> but there's there's that backstory to it too. Selling it himself and sharing that story would be my number one option above everything else. Okay. My, my, um, I think that's the way I would try to do it 
especially if now of course you need to check with your accountant on this but with the way the tax rules are right now if you sell that combine at auction now and you do pocket 70 grand the way i understand everything to be correct there is you know you're going to generate yourself another seventy thousand eighty thousand dollars worth of income whatever that is right and right. if you don't have anything to offset that with um i.e a new combine um you could have yourself in a pretty tight pickle when it comes to taxes right um, of course, it depends on profit and loss and all those kind of fun things that you've done on the farm, on the farm so far this year. But um, that's another option to keep in mind. Um, if you want to make sure you get this done in the 2020 year, in your 2020 um, tax year, um, maybe selling it yourself might for the next 60 days, assuming that you have a calendar year, physical year. I mean, assuming that that's the way you want to do it, Try to sell for a couple months going in through the end of the year, and if it doesn't work that way, then do that. The other option too would be sell your machine at the com at the uh, auction and buy one at an auction, right? Take take advantage right. of some of these these auction values that are out there right now as we look into, um, you know, get everything kind of working the way you want it to work, and then and then move forward that way. Otherwise, um, you know, it'll be kind of moving things forward that way so i guess it's six one half dozen another depending on what you want to do but um you know it's going to be kind of up to him to make that decision what he wants to do but i'm i think you and i are pretty much in lockstep with each other um i don't know that i'd keep it unless i just wanted to keep it um i think i'd be more generate that cash to go get a good get down payment put yourself in a in a decent equity position moving forward on a combine, um, on a on a good used combine, um, take advantage of some low rate interest that's out there right now, and some and some extended warranty programs and those kind of things that are out there. Um, especially if you show up with cash in hand and you're not you're not wanting to trade anything, you're going to have a lot of guys lined up to try to sell you a, a cash no trade um, combine, which are the best. That's the best three words in this business: cash no trade. So you can't you can't <laughs> you can't beat that with a stick. So I think he's uh, he's in the driver's seat for sure. I think he's got a good opportunity to really take advantage of some things that are happening right now. But um, I think both of us we both agree that uh, there there would be no reason for him to, to trade that machine in unless he just doesn't want to mess with the auction side of it or trying to sell it himself or whatever. But to me, there's really no good reason for him to trade that in at all i think there's, right. there's probably a better chance of him um really capitalizing on this machine just turn it into cash somehow whatever that is so and it all comes down you to know, this time frame too i guess that's that's another thing right right yeah. time frame is very important when is, as we address the tax side of that yeah. and one thing i would throw in there real quick on tax before i get on to my second topic here is it brings 65 at an auction or it brings 90 him selling it himself. Mm -hmm. Both of those have tax ramifications. So you might as well get, you might as well get more, you know, you you still end up with more in your pocket. Right. And, and, and as long as you do it all in the same tax year, again, talk to your tax professional, but as long as you do it in the same tax year, you should, that should be more than offsetting. I mean, I mean, unless you just go, straight across on another 13 or something like that, but it's going to be um, either way you're going to uh, offset what you bought. So 
I guess his time frame, number one, I guess is the biggest thing for him to consider. Is he willing to see what happens and do the whole thing and kind of play the game and and just don't drag your feet when you find the one you want? Move on it, right? I mean, right. How, how many guys do we talk to on every day that are, you know, I don't know, I like it, I like it, and him hawing around, and then they they say they want it, and it's sold either the day before or the week before or the mor- that morning, you know what I mean? And you've been back and forth on it a couple weeks. So I guess my advice would be know your time frame, understand what you what you want, what you want to get, what you're willing to um, ultimately spend, and then three is when you find the machine that you want, go for it, get it done, and turn and burn and enjoy your new combine. Yep. You know, one other thing I would throw in there on this, Casey. And it's something we've addressed a lot on the podcast. And it's all driven by current level of farm income, which is driven by commodity prices. The ultimate, ultimate thing he could do, sell that combine himself, get 10%, 15% more than auction, which, okay, say maybe that's the difference in his tax payment, what have you. But it's more. Regardless, it's more. And then go lease a machine. Yeah. Because he, he's in a rare position where, you know, assuming that 13 that he got new is a is, is paid off, I always joke with everybody, you know, guys, guys that I have a lot of discussions with on Twitter, over the phone, or when we were at the Custom Harvesters thing and Everybody wrinkles their nose when I say it, but I think it's very accurate. There's no such thing as equity in the combine until it's paid off. <laughs> that's there's and, some truth to that. Yeah. And and that's where he's at. He is, you know, I can dump this and it's cash in hand. I don't owe a penny on it anywhere whatsoever. Then take that into the I would call it, you know, it's not 19 leasing is not as aggressive as 16, 17 leasing was. Right. But it's still very aggressive. And a lot of dealers, us, case in point, us, as aggressive as we can possibly be on a lease. Right. And yep. and he's, he's going from, he could go from a 13, 670 to a 19, 780 and do that advanced lease payment, throw the rest of that cash in his pocket, hang on to it, use it somewhere else on the farm, whatever he wants to do with it, and just lease that combine and not worry about, you know, oh, I'm I'm stuck with this machine. No, you're not. You know, you did a two-year lease, a three-year lease, what have you. Your payment's cheap. You're out of the machine. Go again. Yep. No, that's right. That would be that would be as far as dollars and cents the most cost effective thing he could do if he could. And all either either he sells it himself or it's auction. Whatever he's got the cash in his hand, right? Right. So he takes that cash in hand and he attacks the dealer market for leases instead of oh, I'm going to buy it. And to be clear, a lot of people across the nation 
there's a lot of people that think lease and rent is the same thing. I'm not talking about rentals in any way, shape, or form. An actual, like, two- or three-year lease. It's his machine. He decides where the repairs are at. He, you know, all of that. Throw power guard on it. Other than belts, chains, sprockets, augers, he's covered. Right. That would be that would be the Super Bowl ring option of that whole scenario. Yep, and that's the other thing and too. You, and you, you being a Chiefs fan, Casey, Super Bowl rings are these big fancy rings they give you when you win a Super Bowl. Yeah, we got a lot of diamonds on them and stuff. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, they they have, they have a few of those um, that the other team won when they played them, but that was few and far between. <laughs> I think the last time the Chiefs played in the Super Bowl was when they were. It was still kind of a just like a pickup game. It wasn't necessarily a real thing yet. I I know for a fact you and I were not born yet, so. There's that. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. The one thing I would caution though on that on that leasing thing is, like you said, pay the payment out of the funds you got. Don't use all your money to get a cheap lease because right. Yeah, yeah. don't do no 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 no. Just like and I and I've told guys this. They're like, well, we have this S six seventy. Say it's a twelve, whatever. It's paid off. It's worth fifty thousand. You know, it's kind of a base rig, whatever, lots of hours. And I always tell them, I'm like, put it on big iron, then lease a combine. Don't, don't ever, and this is, I would tell everybody this, no matter what it is, don't ever, ever burn up your equity in whatever you have, whether it's a push lawnmower or a CP690 cotton picker. Do not burn up equity by trading it on a lease. Yep. Unless, unless, the only thing I would say with that, guys that are bound and determined to lease a machine because the payment's cheap and the economy sucks right now and they're bound and determined to own that, roll that into a purchase. Yeah, that makes sense. Then it makes a little bit of sense. Right. Yeah. But I, I will tell you this. If you're leasing a machine with the intent of owning it 10 years from now, pay a little bit more interest and put it on a longer note. Right. I, I've had plenty of conversations with, with sales guys and customers alike on, on that topic. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this machine in three years and I'll be honest with you. Eight out of 10 times. Does it, it rarely does it happen. You know what I mean? Right. It, it just doesn't happen. I mean, most because here it happens. They get three years down the road, and they're like, you know what? I'll either I don't want to buy this one. I'd rather buy that one, or I'm going to just release a new machine or a used machine or something else. Rarely do do they end up buying it. I mean, it just doesn't yep. happen. It just does not happen well, very often. And the reason for that is the lease is set up that you can walk away from it. Right. Yep. No matter how much you love that machine, with the idea in your head that you can walk away from it, just like you said, nine out of ten guys, eight out of ten guys, it's exactly what they're going to do because they can. Yeah. Yep. It also gives them. I always always refer to it as you know you're hedging your iron. You know, like you hedge a crop type of thing. You have right. You have options. Yep. You know, you got all the options in the world. You're in the driver's seat. 
with you know you have a divine a defined set of rules that you're going to live under and then once that happens you get to make the decision what you want to do you can either like you said you can walk away from it you can you know refinance the one you've got if you want to keep running it and you're just looking for a payment structure or the other side of that is you know you get a new one it's just whatever you want to do i mean you have the options to do those things not that you don't have those options when you have a have a, like a conventional you know you know note of, of just a, a finance note you know, you got the options there too um but you you never have if you're upside down in it in that machine uh when you get it on that lease side and you're at that point where you can walk away from it that's somebody else's problem at that point that's not yours anymore and that's exactly and, yeah. and that's the way leases are they're designed specifically for that right yeah, you have you can do the market research. You can see where you're at. You can see what what trading value is going to be. You can see what retail value is going to be. You can see what um, auction value is going to be, and all those things. And then you can start making those decisions as to what you want to do. By all means, if you owe at the end of your lease 150 grand on a combine, and the dealer is going to give you 175 thousand bucks, you're fool you're a fool not to buy it, right? Take that 25 thousand dollars worth of equity and roll with it, but in in the uh the adverse side of that i mean if you <laughs> if you have $150,000 residual and and it's worth 125,000 bucks well you probably don't need to keep that machine get a different one right. and and you don't need to refinance it either you know what i mean just no, go God, to the no. next one go to the next one figure it out go you know pass that on to somebody else that's somebody else's problem at that point that's what i like about the options that you get with leasing out in the same same breath if it's on a conventional note and you're looking at that um and you're upside down and you're on that that $125,000 side of that argument then what do you do there you have negative equity that you got to do something with right um so but I'm not saying that one way is better than another I'm just saying one way puts you in control of the situation that you you have a basically you have a jumping off point. Now we've done creative financing with with some different notes and those kind of things to where we've kind of we're trying to guess what the market's going to be like in two or three years and and set their payments payment structure up that way and do those kind of things. But um, I think the bigger picture of that is when you're a guy like Alex and you've got a wad of cash out there that you can do some stuff with there's a lot of things you can do because you don't have any pressure, right? There's no, you don't have anything breathing down your neck about, I got to get out of this payment or I got to get this machine fixed or that, whatever. He can kind of do whatever he wants. He's got a lot of freedom and, and whatever he does is going to end up on the upside, you know, reading that little paragraph that I got from him. But I think there's a, <clears throat> I think overall that there's a good opportunity for Alex to make himself either, like you said, uh, get a good cheap payment doing a lease or if he does go to the conventional note way then he can absolutely 1000 percent put himself in a good position with some with some equity down the road you know if he wants to look at something in two years i think that's right. uh, definitely i mean that's seventy thousand bucks on a good used combine that's that's a year and a half worth of payments almost you know what i mean oh at least so at least. I, I mean the position that you put yourself in is is good. He's going to be in a good spot. So, um, I guess long story short is Alex. Um, I would I would tell you to uh, understand your time frame and 
and understand what the tax any tax ramifications you might have if you need to move now you know great do it do it this year in 2019 but if you really want to wait and see that perfect machine come across i me personally i try to sell it myself like you talked about and and see what comes up here towards the end of december moving into january and and kind of start making some hard decisions then yeah i would i would agree with that pretty much across the board okay well good stuff aaron um feel like we've kind of beat that one to death um anything else you want to throw out there on this topic before we shut this thing down you know i guess not really that you know where i guess where i would point to with and you know doing the wholesale stuff for our huge dealer group I've seen some attractive pieces across the country that I've tried to buy for salesmen that have a deal going. And I've noticed a very, very large amount of consignments at, yeah. you know, dealers across the country. Yeah. And we, we, our consignment level is way, way up too. Right. The one thing I would say to guys is I know that, for, first of all, some of that is very hard for me to wrap my head around because of my, you know, my real job and then the hobby farm on steroids. I wouldn't, you know, never consign anything, but I sell machinery for a living, so it's a different aspect. But... The thing I would tell guys is, and j- just throwing this out there on a broadcast, if you have something you want to get rid of, try throwing an ad, your own ad with your name, your number, your story. It's always back to that story on Tractor House, Machinery P, that kind of thing. Um, Craigslist, you know, shit, Craigslist is free. Mm-hmm. There's, and, and have an aggressive price with it. I think by doing those things, you'll maximize your potential far more than consigning it at the dealer. Right. Yep. I would agree with that. Um, the other thing, too, is if you're going to sell something yourself, make sure you do all the research and you understand what your machine's worth. And Go in there with your eyes wide open, moving forward uh, on on understanding understanding what the market is. Um, there's a seems like we run across a lot of guys that want a certain number for a piece of equipment, and they can't really. There's there's no they're so far off in the marketplace that they're asking they they want more for it than the highest price machine on the internet. You know, right. and, and that's just that's important. You know, you know you're never going to sell it, so you might as well just be realistic, but and and see where you're, see where the market's at, and make that decision and move forward. Right. <clears throat> People in hell want ice water, but good luck. Right. Yeah. It's best of luck to you. So, good stuff. <laughs> good stuff. That's my that's my Dave Fennel moment for this podcast. <laughs> right on. All right, man. I think we think we beat her to death here. So, uh, if people want to reach out to you, Aaron, what's the best way to do that? Well, the commonplace, a lot of guys find me on the Ag Twitterverse. You can find me there, at Aaron Fintel. 
or feel free to call me, text me um, anytime, 308-760-1193. Those are by far the best two routes to get a hold of me. Right on, man. And you can find me, Casey Seymour, uh, here on the Moving Iron Podcast. You can hit, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, um, Spotify, and the Global Ag Network. So until next time, Aaron, let's go move some iron. This is Casey and Aaron. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard working